Hey guys, and welcome to episode 11 of Leadership on Purpose. I'm Blake Bozarth, and this is the show that's designed to help you grow your influence and lead with confidence and with humility. So I've also been looking forward to this episode for a couple of months now. We're talking with Joel Manby, and Joel's the author of Love Works, an incredible book, highly recommend. He's also the former CEO of SeaWorld, of Hershen Family Entertainment, of Saab, the automaker. He's a Harvard MBA. He's experienced so much success in life. He comes from humble beginnings, a really incredible personal story. He's very open also about his own personal failures and he, he talks about a season that he had at SeaWorld as CEO that was really unhealthy for him, and he doesn't want other leaders to make the same mistakes. And he's passionate about helping leaders prioritize the things that truly matter and drawing the right boundaries and taking care of themselves and their health. We also we talk a lot about what does it look like to lead with love in this episode. Love the verb, not the emotion, not the romance. A lot of companies don't like to use the term Joel thinks they're doing it wrong, and I agree with them. We talk about what's the ROI on leading with love? What's the return on investment on leading well with love? And what does it look like to lead with love during crisis? So the importance of being truthful as a leader, focusing on giving clarity over certainty, the importance of encouraging your people consistently and intentionally if you're not giving them consistent, positive encouragement, negativity will end up filling that void, especially in times of crisis. And uh, we also talk about his time on Undercover Boss. I saw this episode and it was so moving. I watched it with Lexi and I said, I have to get Joel on the show. We're so glad it worked out. There's so many nuggets on this episode, guys. And without further ado, let's jump into the show. All right. It's so great to have Joel Mamby with us today. Joel, welcome to Leadership on Purpose. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I really appreciate what you're doing out there. So I'm happy to, to be on your program. We're, we're so excited to have you. So if you would tell our audience a little bit about you, about your story and, and where, where your career is taking you and what you're doing today. Well, as in a kind of a helicopter view, long story short, I, I grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, really poor upbringing. My dad did not make much money. He was making about $5,000 a year in, in 1960s and then his business folded. And the reason I, I say that is it really made me uh, maybe too driven sometimes because I didn't want to end up, I love my father was loving, my family was loving, but I really wanted to not have a situation where my family suffered financially. And that's one of the reasons I, I went the, the business route and uh, Went to a couple of good schools, uh, got my MBA, and then started with Saturn Corporation, which was a startup for General Motors, and then went to Saab as their CEO at only 35 years old. So that was kind of my big business break because Saab wanted a Saturn person specifically, and so I was able to land that job really early. And uh, I'll tell you, that's the biggest transition ever in my life is going from a number two executive to a number one executive. Um, well, the tension, the pressure is the biggest transition I think any young leader can make. Um, but all that time, that 20 year period of being in the auto industry and, and kind of working my way up, I had this huge angst in my soul that I really felt like leadership should be better than what I was seeing. Hmm. Um, I, I saw autocratic fear-based leadership in the auto industry. And I just kept thinking there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way, even as I was running a company. Um, but I didn't, it was never modeled for me. 
And that's what I love about what you're doing is you're trying to model great leadership to young people um, and, and some older people, but mostly young people. And what, what happened to me is when I was on the board of um, Hershey Entertainment, I, while I was CEO of Saab, I was asked to come in and lead that company. And Hershen is an, a theme park company and they own all of that. Well, they, they partner with Dolly Parton. Um, they have Silver Dollar City and Branson. They own the Harlem Globetrotters. Lots of businesses you know, right. but people don't know who Hershen is. But their owners, Jack and Pete Hershen, taught me to lead with love. They taught me the way that I've always wanted to lead, but I didn't think it, it was even out there. And so for the next 20 years of my career between Hershen and SeaWorld, I basically practiced these principles of leading with love and found that not only did it make me the most satisfied leader uh, I've ever been, but it had tremendous financial performance, tremendous ROI, which we can talk about. But in a nutshell, my career has been kind of 20 years autos where I learned more bad than good and then mm. 20 years in theme parks where I learned a lot of the good and some bad, uh, certainly at SeaWorld, but that's the essence of my work life. And um, it's been just a blast and I'm dedicating myself to try to teach leading with love to as many people as who, who will take it on. Well, I absolutely love your story. I, I heard you on another podcast that one of my best friends sent me and heard your story and just said, I've got to get Joel on our, on our show so that he can share it with our audience. One of, one of the things I also learned is that you were on Undercover Boss, the mm -hmm. television show. Mm -hmm. And so uh, here I am listening to the podcast. I hear, I hear the story of that. It's like one of our favorite shows. Hadn't seen your episode before, though. And my wife and I, we pull it up on our phones and we watch it. And it was so good. It was just such, such an incredible show. It moved, us, it moved us big time emotionally. What was that process like? I have to ask. What was it like to go sure. undercover like that and to kind of humble yourself in so many ways, but to get to know different parts of your organization in a way that you otherwise just wouldn't be able to sure. do? Sure, absolutely. Um, the process was, uh, they, CBS was the, the show, uh, actually the network behind the show, and they had gone to Disney and Universal and Six Flags and even SeaWorld. All those companies had said no because they're public companies. They couldn't take the risk. This was the first year of Undercover Boss, so you didn't know if it was going to be like a 60 minutes attack on your company oh, or gosh. was it going to be good, right? So you're taking a huge risk. Uh, our board and I had so much confidence in our own folks and our culture that we thought it would be great marketing, great branding for the organization. And so we took a risk, but the filming was literally um, you know, seven, seven days, kind of, I would say 16 to 20 hour days, pretty long days. And a lot of edits hit the edit, edit floor. But for those of your audience who haven't seen it, I'd, I'd recommend the show generally. And that, that episode specifically is a really good show because it shows love and, and action, basically, the love we're talking about. But I'll add one more thing to it. Um, when I finished it, we were really, really lucky because we our episode was right after the NCAA quarterfinals. So... 30 million people, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, 25 million people came in from the NCAAs and, wow. and 20 million stayed the whole time through. So we had a huge following. And then what happened shocked me in that I got so many letters and emails from thousands of people. I literally have a bookshelf still with, it's about four feet wide with all the letters and emails I got from people back, back in the day saying, 
we want a different culture. We expect more from leadership. We wish we worked for a company like yours. And it showed me that the angst I had, this feeling of there has to be a better way, it's not just me. It's thousands, millions of people in the United States. And certainly the Gallup statistics, which you've talked about before on your show, that only 35% of people are fully engaged in their work, is a reflection of that. Mm. So because I got so many letters like that, that's when I decided to write Love Works. I, I probably, I never intended to be an author. I never intended to try to help other people other than the business I ran, but I saw a need and uh, wrote the first edition because of that in 2011 and have just recently released another edition because there is such a need. And I think it's even worse now than ever. I think our society is actually heading away from love that I'm talking about, how we treat each other, how we respect each other. You can see it in politics. You can see it on the internet. Uh, it's just getting worse, not better. And so I, I'm more passionate than ever that leaders need to understand these principles because they do work. And that's why I wrote the book. That's super powerful. And that's such a great segue from the show where you, where you really live that in action to what you're doing now and, and to the book. So to the book, Leading with Love, the premise itself, let's get to the heart of that. What, what, what is it all about? And, and, and when, I guess, if you can describe, when did you start intentionally applying the framework really in your, in your organization? Yeah. What was that like? So at the highest level, let's start first before we even get into love with do goals and be goals. And most organizations, all organizations, sorry, 100% have what I would call do goals. What do you have to accomplish today? Uh, increase sales, increase margins, increase profit. Very few companies focus much energy on their be goals. What kind of leader do we want our organizations to have? What kind of leaders do we want to be? And leading with love is about defining those beagles and how we want our leaders to behave. And then that's the first point. The second point, though, is to put a lot of processes behind it. That sound process sounds like a boring word, but it's actually invigorating. All organizations measure profitability and probably guest satisfaction. A lot of organizations don't measure how their leaders behave or their own employee satisfaction. And so we actually put robust metrics so that we would spend just as much time at Hershen or Seawell talking about our financial results as we did our leadership results and our people results. So specifically, um, we defined love, our beagles, as seven words from, uh, it happens to be from 1 Corinthians 13, but it, can, you know, it doesn't have to be those seven words necessarily but it's being patient, being kind, being trusting and truthful and dedicated and forgiving and unselfish. And these words defined how we wanted our leaders to be. And that's basically what the premise is about. And there's a lot more to it, but that's, that's basically it. Who wouldn't want a leader that emulates those seven traits, right? That, 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 that's incredible. So what, what did you, what kind of effects did you see as you started to employ this focus really on the B goals and on those seven traits? Well, I'm going to answer it two different ways. The first is that most of the people listening, I bet, or I, half the people I talk to don't always resonate with love because they interpret it as love, the emotion 
Americans think of romance when they think of love. This is not that at all. You got to wipe that out of your mind. This is love, the verb. The Greeks have four different words for love. And one of them is agape, which is a verb. It's how you treat people. It's not how you feel. Eros is their feeling word. And unfortunately, it's a language barrier. We're talking about agape, which is how you treat people. So that's, that's the first thing. That, and so when you put that into the business, what the results we saw, and this is just amazing, and I want your audience to understand, we would go into organizations and buy, we would buy up companies that would be in the 15 to 30% range on employee engagement, mapping, uh, matching that Gallup statistic. And we would take within three years consistently, I, I've seen it work two dozen times, consistently from 15% engagement to 80% engagement, 70% engagement. That means lower turnover, higher guest scores, higher employee scores, and higher profitability. And Hirschend, I could, we don't have time to go into it, but we had a, as good of a return on investment, ROI, growth statistics, margin, as anybody else in the industry. Six Flags, SeaWorld, I, wow. you know, Disney's a different category, mm -hmm. but we had the financial results, but it, we also treated people the way you believe you should be treated. And so once we implemented them, you know, we, we saw the results. And the only thing I'll add there is when I, when I got there, the culture already existed because it was family owned, but they hadn't defined it. So I don't want my words to sound like I did it. It was the Hershens that, it, that created the culture in Missouri. Mm. But what I did with their support is put a vernacular to it, to put those words to it and then roll it out as we acquired companies and you can change culture it's hard, but you can, and it takes three years. So wanted to make that point. No, that's so, that's so powerful because we were talking about a little bit in the beginning of the episode before we started, the ROI behind yeah. leading with love. That is real, real bottom line impact that you see from driving higher rates of engagement. Like that, that's, un, that's unbelievable. And just like what, how that bleeds through, not only in your retention, but also in your, in your customer experience. They feel that, and you write that in your oh. book about an enthusiasm. The enthusiasm of your customers can only be as high as the enthusiasm of your employees. I thought that was really a powerful concept yeah. too. I appreciate you, you that that quote is a, one of my favorites as well. And you're right; it's 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 not rocket science, but it's shocking to me how many companies seem to ignore that. They don't treat their employees all that well, and then they expect them to turn around and treat the guests well. It just doesn't make any sense. So. I, I'm glad you brought it up because it's the most misunderstood part of leading with love. People perceive it as maybe being soft or too nice, and it's actually not the case. It gets results, and I find it. Look, I've led both ways. I've led in the dog-eat-dog, autocratic, fear-based mm -hmm. auto world. I've led leading with love. I will tell you it's harder to lead with love because it demands truthfulness. It demands being trustworthy. It demands being encouraging when you don't feel like it all you know we can go through the words but it's it's not easy but it's very rewarding that's that's amazing so if you could tell me what what would you say are the two most misunderstood mm -hmm. and maybe the two most difficult to actually apply yeah the um i think the two most misunderstood are the first two um patience and kindness and if i had to rewrite the book i might choose 
slightly different words because patient is not being patient with poor performance. It's being patient in how you handle poor performance. It means basically uh, praise in public, admonish in private. Admonishing in public can do so much damage to a person, sometimes irrecoverable damage, and they end up losing. And I, I tell a story in the book how it happened to me. Even when I was CEO of Saab, I got publicly admonished, very embarrassing way. And I kind of emotionally checked out and I was ready when the search person called. So even at a CEO level, it can happen. But it happens a lot at the, at the lower levels, uh, junior levels in a company. The, the, the second one, well, let me say, it's also, patience. it's also patience with doing things the right way. Like as a leader, uh, we must figure out, patiently figure out what we can do to motivate our employees. And the mission company, the vision may not motivate them but we have to figure out what does motivate them. And that takes patience and caring for them. Uh, the second misunderstood word is kindness. And people think I meant uh, from a one word being nice all the time. And you know, all leaders know, a leader can't be nice all the time. We have to make tough decisions. We have to lay people off sometimes, hopefully the right way. We have to make tough decisions. What it means is encouragement. And if, I, if, if your listeners walked away with one thing uh, about misunderstanding leadership is the, the dearth of encouragement out there in the world in general and in leadership. You know, the, just a, a tangent on that, the get, that we would always measure the seven words of love. The one that always scored the worst was kindness or encouragement. And it's free. It doesn't cost a dime. But it's because, you know, there's six human emotions, five of them are kind of negative, one's positive. I just think we're wired to be a little negative as the mm -hmm. human species, and we need to encourage each other. So that's, that's misunderstood. If I, can, if I can add in one practical yeah. nugget I also loved in the book was this concept of uh, patient praise, yes. too. And, 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 it, and it really means taking, taking time to see the intentional and in calling out specifically what are they doing well and what are you going to praise instead of like a, you know, general kind of sugar coated, you know, um, right. encouragement, like it's being, it's being patient in your praise. And then you also gave a practical um, tip, which is three to one, right? Yeah. Th th three to one praise to admonishment. I'm glad you brought that up. You're exactly right. Uh, because we tend to be too negative. Um, we have to, put three positives with every negative, like you said. I mean, research actually says it's five to one. The human brain hmm. accepts negativity much better than it accepts a positive praise. I mean, think about for yourself. Sometimes it's hard for us to take a compliment, but we beat ourselves up very easily. So, very true. But, but three to one's a good thing in your head as a leader. Um, so, I, yeah, you, you brought up some really good additions to that point. Um, I love it. And so the other question I have for you is around difficult. What's, what's yeah. the, what are the most difficult ones really do you think to apply? Th those aren't easy necessarily either. But. No, none of them are easy, honestly. Um, I think the most difficult one, I, I actually feel so strong. I'm going to go down to trusting and truthfulness, being trustworthy as a leader. Um, and, you know, just basically doing what you say you're going to do uh, and caring about your own employees. One of the biggest transitions in leadership for those listening, people in their 20s and 30s, is in 20s and 30s, you're building your career. And so you're so focused on, we are focused on our own success. I was certainly. It wasn't until I became a CEO, like the number one position, I realized really quickly 
it's not about me at all. It's about me building this team and making sure they can, they can exceed, they can excel. And there's a, you know, a lot of ways to do that. But trustworthiness means you let your team do the work and then you lead them and certainly hold them accountable and talk through their issues. But it's not about me anymore. It's about them, basically. And that's trustworthiness to me. But truthfulness of all, of all the words and of all my experience, I'm, I'm 61 years old. I'm probably 40 years older than some of your audience. I would tell all your listeners, truthfulness is the most important thing. And it's hard, uh, especially, I, I think, in faith-based organizations I've worked with. They tend to be too nice sometimes. But even in, in pr private secular organizations, they, they fire people before they sit down and say, this is not working. Here's why it's not working. Um, I have a method called basically stop, start, continue. You sit down with yes. somebody. What do you want to, what do you want them to start mm. doing that? They're not stop doing that. They are and continue doing that's going great. It gives them positive and negative feedback. But if, if you're not doing that, uh, we're, we're not, we are not doing our job as leaders. So truthfulness and trustworthiness, I think are the two most difficult. Uh, I love that. Great, great um, takeaways. So I want to ask, ask you as well, like uh, you mentioned it before about the emotion and the verb, Yeah. but the term love in in the workplace hr typically not not the biggest fan of that like in terms right. of you know marketing or branding or having that on the company website even as part of values why do you think that is and and what's like what what what, what do we do about that i i think well i'll start with what we do about it i i think most people um would just call it servant leadership and uh I think if you're going to talk about it as a cultural element within your organization, I think servant leadership or caring leadership um, is fine. Um, I, when I wrote the book, I purposely did it to make a point, uh, which is it truly is an agape love. It's a form of love. So it's a language issue. The, re the reason HR doesn't like it, it's really back to that language issue. They think of love and they think, oh, it's romantic, or you're going to make an inappropriate comment, or silly things like that. It, again, this is this is agape. It's a verb. It, you can dislike somebody and treat them with agape love. Mm. You can be in a disagreement with somebody and treat them with agape love. In fact, that's where it's hardest, right? It's in that meeting that gets intense and anger is flaring. That's where agape love comes in versus letting our natural, sometimes natural instincts take in. So I think that's why the word love works. There's no always accepted, but the principle of servant leadership is pretty universally accepted as uh, a very effective way to lead. I would never say it's the only way to lead. You know, there are some autocratic vision, you know, visionary type leaders who create an environment where they're the only ones making all the decisions and they just want operators doing what they say. I'm not saying those can't be successful. They can be, but they're not going to get very large. They're not going to scale and they're going to say, they're not going to get beyond 50 to 75 employees or, you know, it's, it's not going to grow because you just, you can't keep good people without having a servant leadership kind of culture. And I love what you also share with Hershen. That in, that, in that whole organization, that family, is they had such a long-term view. 
right? Right. And and it wasn't about like the short term, like what's gonna what's gonna drive the the squeeze the biggest amount of value at a given time. It was really about hey, we're investing in something that's gonna be sustainable and scalable for the long run, and that's what leading with love is really all about. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned there's sometimes a place for other types of leadership. Talk to me about what does it look like to to lead with love in crisis? Mm-hmm. It's it's even harder. I, I um, because right now we are all suffering. I think this this is the toughest. It's the toughest period of the economy of our culture that I've ever seen in my sixty years of life. Um, I've had more specifically difficult situations like SeaWorld or I ran a startup for um, Amazon back in 2000 that was really tough from a business standpoint, but this is the toughest. And so I think people should just understand that. Um, But I I would give three thoughts to people who are leading right now uh, in crisis about, about the words, but then also three generic ones. So just stick with me for a minute on on truthfulness, I think it's the most difficult word, but we need to be truthful now more than ever as leaders. I don't care if you're leading your family or a group of one or you know one other person, two person team or yep. 20,000 people. People need the truth right now. They don't need sugarcoating. They don't want cheerleaders as a leader. They want leaders. They want to be led. And I, I think um, I see too much people not acknowledging that it's okay to be afraid even as the number one leader it's okay to say i'm fearful too and and all you can deal with is what you know for sure today and and i like to say don't don't think about giving certainty to people right now give them clarity and so truthfulness is not telling them that's all going to be all right you know what it may not be but we have to tell them where it is today and how we're going to pivot our business so so clarity is what they need certainty we can't give them so that's under truthfulness and then i'll just do one other um i think on kindness and we talked about being uh three to three to one more encouraging i i actually think this is a time to double down on that because people are filling the gaps with negatives. That's what I'm finding as I talk to people. If they're not on the Zoom call that they would normally be in that meeting or if they haven't heard from their boss in a week or two, they fill it with fear and they fill it with negatives. So if you're leading anybody, go out of your way, even if it's just a text, email, how you doing, don't overwhelm them with Zoom calls. We're all overwhelmed. They just need to know that you care. Um, and then, so those are a couple thoughts. And then, um, I said three generic things to get through this crisis. I'll just, I'll leave a good three things for your audience. One, I know it's obvious, but stay healthy. Hmm. You know, if you're, if you're not a healthy leader, you're not going to be any good for your people. If you're exhausted, if you're medicating too much, if you're um, just down in the dumps, you can't help other people. So it's important and it's hard to get rested, to take care of yourself. The second thing is to, as I said, reinforce or encourage more than ever. And the third though, that we haven't talked about is when people are, is to let go. The third thing is just to let go in this situation, because when people are in a crisis, we tend to be more autocratic. We tend to gather in decisions versus 
right now to move quickly and pivot quickly and change quickly. We actually need to let go and let the metrics of what we're doing speak for themselves and not micromanage right now. So those are just a few thoughts about leading with love. I love that. And that, that ties in so well with the importance of trust. You can't let go without trust and having, having, having that really knowing that you can rely on your people that you're investing in. That's what a good leader does. So we, we, we talk about how we think the highest form of leadership is it's not creating followers like a, like an autocratic leader would only do. It's, creating leaders it's being a it's being a leader maker and a leader maker extends trust and so i I absolutely i think that's spot on and it's even more important i love it you that you gave the application it's even more important in times of crisis well yeah not only will it's the only way you can scale as you said it's also the only way you will keep great people great people frankly let's admit it we don't like to be told what to do we think we have talent all leaders we think we can do it and so many leaders get confused when something's not done exactly the way they would, they get, they go in and micromanage. That's why I, I focus so much on metrics because mm-hmm. as long as the numbers, whether it's do or beagle are being hit, who am I to say they, you know, just, and that's letting the metrics and letting go is a great way to, to be more trustworthy. That's, that's very practical, very practical tips. So I want to ask you this before we get into our standard questions you have such a really compelling story as a, as a leader, so much success from a young age, so much just kind of climbing, climbing ladders wherever you went, the highest levels. You're also very open though, Joel, about your own failures. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're, you're passionate about making sure other leaders don't fall into, you know, some of the things that you've fallen into. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. I don't love sharing it, but it's the only way to be, um, to be authentic. I, I, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes. I mean, I've had a lot of uh, successes, but I've I've had a lot of failures. And in the book, one reason I encourage people, if they're going to buy love works to buy the the new version, um, which they can get for the same price, basically it has two new chapters, one on the sea world experience, which is a lot of good learning there but it also uh, has a chapter on my personal failure. I had a really, really rough four year period um, and both emotionally and physically and relationally went through a a really tough divorce, which I never dreamed in my life that I would go through. Um, And it was, it was because I, I did a lot of things wrong. I let my work dominate. I, I, I didn't draw boundaries. I worked all the time at SeaWorld. I worked 20 hours a day, literally seven days a week. Um, and it, the pressure was so intense to turn it around quickly. And I became unhealthy in a lot of other ways. Um, and I, some self-destructive behaviors that I, I don't need to go into, but it, you know, there's always two sides to every story, but it ended up in some really difficult things. And so what I would say to your listeners, um, if I had to do it all over again, you know, I would, I would definitely draw tighter boundaries between work and home. And it's, it's really hard right now with COVID because those lines are blurred. Mm-hmm. And I will tell your listeners, nobody can control that but you. Don't blame it on your boss. Don't blame it on um, anybody else but the person you're looking at in the mirror. For me, it was fear of failure, right? I had never, quote unquote, never wanted to fail at anything. Straight A student, you know, good athlete, da 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 
I was in the end of the day, I was afraid of failing. So I worked myself to the point of hurting relationships. And I would implore your listeners um, to not let that happen. Right. I mean, nothing's, nothing's worth your, your relationships basically. So that's in a nutshell, that's what I would say. And there's a lot more to it than that. No, that's, that's amazing. I have that. I can identify with that because I have that same fear of failure. And to be honest, Joel, it's really, really powerful when someone is open and vulnerable about uh, their own kind of failures, because it, um, it, number one, I, Craig Rochelle is one of my favorite, favorite guys in the leadership space, but he talks about how people can admire you for your, for your strengths, for your talent, your intelligence. They connect with you though, through your weakness. And so when you're able to be transparent, it helps people connect with you. It helps you actually grow your influence, which is really great. I've been internalizing that. We teach that at CoThrive as well, too. But also what's powerful is that you're on a mission to, um, to make sure that you can prevent others from making the same sort of mistakes and keeping priorities and drawing boundaries. It's so important even for leaders as they start in their career, or maybe they're early in their career as leaders, maybe they're on a fast ascent up to that you're drawing the right boundaries and you're prioritizing the right things, the things that really matter early in your career so that you can carry that through. And, and carry it through because I defined it early and I said it constantly, but I didn't always live it. And, mm. um, but not because I was intentionally trying to destroy a relationship. I just made really bad decisions and then, you get unhealthy if you're not sleeping. I gained, as a serial deal, gained 36 pounds, didn't sleep, wow. drinking too much probably compared to normal. And just all those things start adding up and you become unhealthy. You don't even realize it, but you get there. And that, that's what I think leaders just, when I talk about staying healthy, it's so important, not only for being a leader, but being a family leader as well. So Amen. hopefully- Hopefully we stop. No, that's, that's super, super powerful. And I actually want to, if we can have another session at some point where we dive into that whole experience at SeaWorld. And then we talked about that in the beginning. I think that could be sure. a really powerful um, separate episode, but I want to get to some standard I questions cry, here. But <laughs> Don't make me cry. Uh, I want to get to some standard questions here okay. before we let you go. So what is your why? What is it that motivates and drives you, Joel? You know, my, my why is helping people see love work that love does work mm. and it's agape love uh, for me it comes from my faith and um that jesus in no matter what you believe about who he was he definitely was on this earth historically the romans historians say it jewish historians say it he was here the impact he had was incredible so no matter what you believe about him the fact that he was all about love and he just said love your neighbor and he he used agape um, well, at least when they wrote it in Greek. So it's, it's my, my desire is to get people to see that. And even if they don't have a faith, it's still the way human beings are wired. Hmm. And it's the only way the Homo sapien has survived 100 million years on this earth is the way we cooperate and work together. Um, so that's my, my goal for the rest of my life is just you know, we, we need it right now, man, with Amen politics the way it is, it's just a mess out there. So Amen to that. We, we also talk about the importance of letting purpose overcome ego. And yeah. I can see that in your own story of like, this is your purpose. You want to show people what that leading with love is the way to go. 
and um, you let that you let that drive you, which is which is pretty incredible. Um, let me ask you this: If you could sit down and have lunch with any leader, currently living or past, who would that be? Well, it really would be Jesus, just because of his uh, what he said and what mm. he believed, and how counterculture it was at the time. People don't realize, you know, in a Roman culture, what his love statements how radical they were and treating women equally when that was not the case back then. So wow. he was, he was radical. So him and that, that's where I'll stop. I love that. That, that. That's the, the ultimate choice. I love that. Um, what is a personal BHAG? Do you have a big, hairy, audacious goal personal to you that you're going after these days? You know, it's not going to impress anybody, but that's okay. I, I've been a CEO for 25 straight years until I left SeaWorld. I want to, um, travel and and um i want to play all of the robert trent jones courses and i want to travel with my wife and see national parks but i also want to write music i i feel like i have songs in me and i want to write some songs because uh my brothers and i were in a rock band when we were young and no way yeah so i i really want to get some of that out of my soul before it's too late how cool is that that's that's an awesome one i love it finally before we let you go where could our listeners find you sure it's uh Really, if they just Google Joel Manby, they'll find the options. But my website is joelmanby.com. And if they want to buy the book, uh, if they buy it there, they also get a three-part video series about how to lead in this crisis. And uh, same price as Amazon. So it, it, they get an advantage there. So joelmanby.com or LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, would be the best places to go. That's a great bonus. I think you're doing a weekly series now on LinkedIn. I've been loving that. And on Instagram as well. So make sure make sure you check Joel out. And phenomenal content, phenomenal experience. Um, love talking. Hope to, hope to reconnect yeah. soon. Uh, good luck to you. I really appreciate what you're doing out there. Um, your work's needed. So keep developing young leaders. It's fantastic. It means a lot. Thanks, Joel. Take care. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. What would it mean for your organization if your leaders became significantly more effective? At CoThrive, we help good leaders transform into exceptional leaders, and we do it in a way that builds camaraderie and deeper connection to your company for a fraction of the cost of less effective alternatives. If you're interested in learning more, find me on LinkedIn and just shoot me a message. As always, guys, keep leading on purpose.